Welcome, everybody, to episode 13 of the Bomber Brothers Podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. Sean and Ryan with you, as always. Another new guest, as always. We talked to Rustin Dodd of The Athletic this week, who did a brilliant look-back piece on the anniversary of the release of Little Big League, the most underrated baseball movie of all time, if you ask these two podcast hosts. Or at least I think that's what you believe, Sean. We're brothers. I hope I would know you that well, and that you were... Not stupid to say otherwise. <laughs> stupid. No. Um, yeah, I would say Little Big League is the most underrated uh, baseball movie with 61 coming in second as the most underrated. Both solid films, but Little Big League cake takes the cake for me. I would even go as far to say that it's the most underrated sports movie of all time. Mm, yeah, I, I don't see why not. I Unless you're going to count in like Mike. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Which we saw many times since uh, our younger brother liked to watch it all the time. Yes, we no. did. Yeah, uh, Little Big League is an awesome movie, and uh, uh, our talk with Rustin was really fun. I had a really good time, and uh, excited to play it for everybody. But first, um, we have some some international travel to talk about. <laughs> a little bit of a London trip the Yankees went on, and they went and played some bizarro baseball games. Yeah, they did, and I, I, I'll just say that. I really hope all the fans out there enjoyed it. They seemed to. I mean, packed crowd. They were they were lively. Um, hopefully, the game can continue to grow overseas. But man, I'm so happy that's over. That was those were two incredibly draining games. I I thought I would be able to watch the whole game on Tuesday or on Saturday, but it took so long that I wound up missing the last three innings because of work. And then I sat through the whole game on Sunday. So uh, I mean. Factoring in the three innings I missed, I, that's about eight hours of baseball I sat through. And it was draining baseball. You, the Yankees built big leads in both games, and the Red Sox wound up bringing the tying run to the plate in both games. So it was, like you said, it was it was bizarre. I mean, every pitcher that went out there seemed to struggle. Obviously, that maybe there was something going on with the mounds. I saw some people talked about the aerodynamics of pitching in a soccer stadium like that affected the depth of their breaking balls I don't know what it was but they I mean between how many home runs were hit and the fast infields it was an offensive show and while I say it was draining I'm certainly relieved that the Yankees came away with wins in both games and the Yankees also outscored like half of the NFL teams that haven't ever played there yeah. so <laughs> um yeah I mean it's good um Good for to grow the game. I think it was Joel Sherman that tweeted that. He talked to a couple people that didn't even know that the MLB was there, but um, the ones that did go had said they were actually going back for the second game after sitting through the first game. So it sounds like they liked it, those that knew it was there, but maybe they could have marketed it there a little bit more. Um, It was cool to see. It was cool to see some of the Yankee fans that we follow um, that went, you know, post some pictures and seemed to have a good time, but as a fan sitting at home, there there reached a point where I was just more concerned with health than anything else. I mean, you have guys throwing so many pitches, Tanaka specifically in that first inning, and then the bullpen, and then you get Voight coming up uh, lame with his lower abdomen injury his and belly under his button. belly button. Uh, so it, it became one of those things where it was like one of those marathon games where you're just like, I just hope nobody comes up lame anymore and just want to get, kind of get through it. So it started off fun. Um, 
and then you know it, it just got a little bit of, of more concerning but I, I was able to get in I was working outside all day and I, I come in like at four o'clock and I'm watching Aaron judge hit a two run homer in like the sixth or seventh inning and I'm like why is this still happening like why is this still going on but uh, it was and you know back and forth and um yeah i'm excited to to get back home now this was a fun little trip but um glad everybody seems to be coming back okay we got some bad news on severino while we were out there uh bad news on stanton while we were out there but uh it seemed to be pretty good news on voight um what did you think about that yeah oh man i mean you again i i I think i left to go to work right before that happened so i was taking it in via john sterling and Susan Waldman, and obviously it sounded really bad. It sounded like, you know, a similar injury to Mabin when he was rounding the bases, and obviously we know that that cost Mabin six weeks if everything goes according to plan, which things rarely seem to do nowadays. But, you know, if if they had lost Voight for that amount of time, that would have been horrible. I don't care how big the lead is in the division right now. Voight is one of your most valuable players who has, thank God, he's been healthy since day one. And not sure how he's not an all star, but um, yeah, wow that that the reserves, holy shit, where there's some snubs in yeah. both. Leagues, but it was American it was interesting because because the starters came out and you were like, all right, like it, it looks mm-hmm. like we did a good job here, we got them all right, and then the reserves come out and man, you, yeah, you said it. There were some there were some big misses, but how the hell did the Mets have more guys in the All Star game than the Twins? That, that is insane baffling. to me. I, well, I, I mean, I, I, and guys like Alonzo obviously deserves it. Oh, and, and yeah, can, he does. But. And can I also say the Home Run Derby seems like it's going to be a lot of fun given the lineup so far. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, Sanchez, he, he hasn't said either way yet, right? He said he's going to talk saw, about it with Sanchez. Yeah, he said he was going to talk about it, but I also saw that, um, I think it was Marley Rivera tweeted that he was leaning towards not doing it. I mean... Which, which I can understand. I, I, I want all the stars to participate in the Home Run Derby. I can understand guys that have participated and don't want to again, especially with mm-hmm. a guy like Sanchez who battled injury all last year, one of it being a nagging shoulder injury. And I don't know, maybe he saw his teammate Aaron Judge hurt his shoulder at the Home Run Derby uh, when they were both there and maybe just realizes how well he's playing and wants to keep it that way. But I don't. Well, he did it in 2017, and he was still August Gary in, in August in yeah, 2017. Also, so also that true. Was, but, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Like, once you do it once, you don't really owe it. I just kind of wish they split it up because, I, I mean, obviously you don't know when you'll go back. But, we, you know, having Sanchez and um, Judge in the same year would have rather spread that. That was such a fun home run derby. Uh, I love it since they went to the clock. It's it's become my yeah. favorite non-Yankee game event in baseball. You know, um, definitely the best of all the all the little stunts that the the leagues do, whether it be the skills competition, the dunk, or the three-point contest. But this has now become so awesome. And Judge two years ago, I mean, we were jumping up and down in my apartment, and then last year. I watched it at Dad's, and, and when Harper went on that tear, it, it's so much fun, and it would be fun to have a Yankee in it. But it sounds like, um, it sounds like Sanchez probably won't, and I don't know why why Voight isn't going to be there, but he's not, so it is what it is. Yeah, it's a situation where I would be excited to watch Sanchez if he went, and it's one that I would understand why he just declined. So we'll see. Yeah. 
we'll see what happens. But let's, uh, I guess let's get the bad news out of the way. It looks like we're not seeing Stanton until August if everything goes well. And obviously, given how much things got pushed back last time he was rehabbing, it could be even longer. And, uh, yeah, that's obviously, that's obviously another big blow. It's more time you got to play Gardner every day. You don't know, you know, what's going to happen with the Talkman-Frazier conversation. Do they bring Frazier up and send Talkman down? Because obviously Talkman's not going to cut it. I mean, it's, if he, if he played every day, it would turn into a Shane Robinson situation of last year. He's just not a good major league player right now. So I think if it's going to be that much time, they'll probably call Clint back up. Yeah, you would hope. Yeah, I you'd think so. That limits the trade game, though. And I mean, this this weekend was a good indicator that they need another pitcher. But uh, for the time being, sticking in the outfield, I I agree. It's you're either going to run Gardner into the ground, who had a couple really big hits um, in London, or you're going to um, or you're going to be playing Talkman a lot. Which with this lineup, maybe they could absorb, but I I don't know. It's it's not what you want. I'd rather have them bring Frazier up, and they could still trade him. I mean, the deadline's not till the end of July, so you could still trade him with like a week or two weeks to go, and then only have to deal with Talkman or Brandon Gardner in the ground for two weeks before Stanton comes back. So we'll see. Yeah, we will. And then obviously the like you maybe mentioned, they could, maybe they can call it that sixteen year old. Oh, uh, Jason named after Jason, Yeah, that's <laughs> named, he's named after Jason Giambi, which is the he's automatically going to be the greatest player of all time. <laughs> Just because when some I, – I was actually going to call Kyle today and tell him to call Francesa and tell him that, and he would think it was a prank, but he would <laughs> thought it was real. Anyway. That would have been a good, that would have been a good one. That would have made the uh, Funhouse account probably. Kyle's been on there many times. <laughs> but um, like you said, this weekend showed that the Yankees need pitching help, not just based on pitcher performance where, I mean, every pitcher that took the mound was bad for both teams. So I think there was something more to it, but also the fact that you know, we also find out this weekend that Severino, another setback, still feeling sore in his lat, doesn't like getting MRIs, and is going to be out till probably September. I don't know why MRIs easy. Just sitting there, and they put music on for you. It's pretty nice. Yeah, who but knows? um, we all have but, our pet peeves. So I guess Sevy doesn't like to sit still for twenty minutes, but. <laughs> Yeah, that that's disappointing, and I mean, at least Cashman. I appreciate Cashman admitting that they should have just made him do it, and hindsight's twenty twenty. So at least there was a little transparency there, but that's really disappointing because that's an arm you're counting on, and now we're pushed back at least another what ten days, two weeks. Um, so yeah, they need to make a they need to make a major splash, and I, I'm more and more convinced that Stroman is the move to make. Um, I don't. I understand that Bumgarner was this god in the 2014 World Series and then the 2015 Wild Card game, but the last time he had dominant pitching in the postseason is four years ago now, and he's on the backside. Uh, you know, he's on the downward trend of his career and pitches in a pitcher's park and is not doesn't have great numbers. So I'm um, I'm in on Stroman. Well, Bumgarner does have an ERA right about four right now. I think his xFIP is about 4.12, which is actually lower than his actual FIP right mm-hmm. now so i mean i guess that's a good sign he's also struck out 11 batters his um uh, second to last outing and nine in his last outing so is he trying to put on a good audition for potential buyers who knows i'm kind of with you there though that he more... also doesn't want to come here oh <laughs> uh, i mean not many pitchers 
do, I don't think, based on the park. But um, given, like you said, that was all a long time ago. I know just hearing the name is still attractive. But, I mean, at this point, based on... You know, based on what we've heard, the Giants are saying that if they don't feel they get a uh, a deal or an offer that they think fits Bumgarner's value, that they're not going to move him. And that kind of tells you that the Giants probably think he's more valuable than other teams do, just because of what he's meant to their franchise and what they know he can be. When in reality, a trade for Bumgarner would be like acquiring a league average rental starting pitcher. Yeah, it would be like acquiring Jay Happ last year, which is you know, worked out at the time. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I would take that trade if he was going to pitch like Jay Happ did through the rest of the regular mm-hmm. season. Yep. So, yeah, I, I don't know. that. That's It's always tricky when you have a guy that's um, that means more to your fan base and to your your team as, as a, you know, player in, in the team's history then. We saw this with the New York Rangers with Matt Zuccarello. All the Ranger fans were upset with what they got back for him. But really, for a, you know second line winger it's not the worst thing in the world what they got but because they they have an attachment to him they feel slighted and that's how the giant fans are going to feel when you're not getting a bona fide package for madison bumgarner he's just he's not worth it especially when you have other guys out there um like a like a stroman yeah i i agree with you i'm on board with getting stroman a lot of experience in the american league east and i would say the big prize would be boyd even though he also hasn't been spectacular. He's just a young arm with a lot of team control. But given the fact that the Tigers asked for Glaber Torres in initial discussions, I would say that's probably not happening. Yeah, I, probably I would hope Cashman just hung up right away and blocked yeah. his phone number but because that would be the dumbest thing ever. And now the Nationals are, are cruising, so there's no way Strasburg would go. I don't. I, re- I don't. I don't think they would have did it even if they hadn't gone on this recent surge. They just. They still have a young core of guys they can build around, and you know they might lose Rendon, but they still have Soto and Turner and Scherzer's under team control or Scherzer's under contract for a couple more years. So I didn't <clears> think that was happening anyway. Now Scherzer's pitching just had the best month in like twenty years, ever since he got hit in the face with a, a baseball. It's funny, yeah. you know, Scherzer gets hit in the face with a ball, and now he has the best month of his career. Gardner gets hit in the face with a helmet, and his OPS was like 1,000 for the next two or three weeks after that. And I keep, going, I keep going back to the velo slap that they talk about in the MVP machine, which we talked about with uh, Ben Lindbergh. Is there, some, is there something to getting hit in the face and suddenly seeing an uptick in production? That it seems to be a correlation there. Um, I'll investigate, but I I don't know what DJ LeMahieu got hit with, but Player of the Week <laughs> and uh, did did he get out the whole time he was overseas? <laughs> yeah, he did. He, he he might he might have to keep his phone set to London time. <laughs> he was it was unreal. He was what zero for three on Sunday and finished three for six. He he's been a uh, an absolute revelation i i do think we need to cool it on the mvp talk mike trout's still in this league and he's and gary sanchez is still on the yankees yeah i mean i, I could get the lemayhu for sanchez mm-hmm. argument just because he's been so valuable on defense as well but you know you you bring up a al mvp and you forget that he has to compete with trout i, I think i saw what did i see that 
Trout can go 0 for his next 40. 40. It was 0 for, yeah, 0 for 40, and LeMahieu keeps up his season pace, so he doesn't drop off at all, and, and then they'd be tied. And they'd still have equal OPS. That's yeah. that's unreal. Yeah. So no, yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, LeMahieu's been awesome for the Yankees. Uh, he's not, you know, he, him, and, him and Sanchez are the two MVPs for the Yankees so far. Um, we'll see who finishes hotter. We're exactly halfway through the year, I believe, right now, right? We just passed through game 82. Um, I so. so we're uh, we're on the downward on the downward slope now, uh, heading to to October, and we'll see who who has the big second half. And you know, the Yankees could have you know could have two of the finalists for the MVP in uh, Lemayhew and Sanchez. And as usual, Trout would probably be the one that deserves it. Yep, and there's nothing wrong with that. Trout is the best player in baseball, should be recognized as such, and LeMahieu could be recognized as the best free agent signing from this offseason, and Sanchez could be recognized as comeback player of the year. And as yep. long as the Yankees can accomplish their team goal, I don't think anybody involved would care. Us included. I, yep, no, absolutely. That's personal awards don't really matter. It's just the world, you know, it was cool to see Judge win the MVP, uh, win the uh Rookie of, the year. Rookie of the year, and you wanted him to win the MVP, but you know, really, the World Series is what matters. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Anything else on London cross your mind? No, I haven't even thought about London since <laughs> since the last game ended. That took a lot out of me. It well, was... yeah. Well, now you get to look forward to playing just from you know across the pond. Now we're just going across the across the Triborough and going into Queens and playing the Mets. Who were looking like, I mean, obviously one game doesn't cure that, but they were looking like a complete dumpster fire. And then I was actually watching that game last night when they made that comeback mm-hmm. and uh, and beat the Braves despite another bullpen meltdown. But, yeah, that'll be an interesting two games. Hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully Pax, bully Pax up on them. Tomorrow night or tonight, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, which – who knows with how he's pitched what the hell's going to happen. Yeah, given um given everything that's going on with the rotation, he he's become one of the most important pieces to the Yankees now because he needs and to pitch not like pitching like it though. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. He needs to start pitching like the Paxton of 2018 and start bringing some stability to this rotation. I'm not worried about Tanaka. I mean, I consider London a complete anomaly for almost all pitchers involved except except the Red Sox bullpen we know they're bad but oh did you hear what they're going to do with um Ivaldi? probably put him in the bullpen yeah they're going to make him the closer when he comes back I mean they need to do something so I don't blame him he has the stuff to be the closer could have just got Kimbrel I yep. know oh man all right well anything else on the Yankee front before we get into more important little big league matters well, we, we covered everything that happened in London, the Stanton and Seve injuries, the Voight, hopefully non-real injury. I I think I think we got everything. Hot LeMahieu, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess we're good there. All right, cool. Well, if that's the case, then let's go ahead and play our interview with Rustin Dodd. He's a features writer for the Athletic New York, and this past weekend he wrote a great piece. Looking back on how Little Big League came to life, as Saturday was the 25th anniversary of its release, and we had a great discussion about a great movie, so here he is, Rustin Dot. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're joined by Rustin Dodd. He's a features writer for The Athletic, and one of his most recent posts was a look back celebrating the 25th anniversary of the release of Little Big League. Rustin, thanks for coming on and talking with us about one of the most underrated movies in baseball movie history. No problem. I'm glad to do it. So, you know, other than the fact that this is the anniversary today, I believe, actually, as we record on Saturday the 29th, but, you know, other than it being the anniversary, was there anything else that uh, inspired you to write this article, just a fondness for the movie? Just what made you decide, let's look back at how this movie came together and how it was received at the time it was released? Yeah, so, I don't know, I've I've been basically a fan of Little Big League since I was a kid. I saw the movie in the theaters. Um, I actually saw it in a, uh, one of those old, it's like a 90s tradition, I don't even know if they still do it, but like it was like a summer movies thing, basically, at some, you know, local movie theater where they had like a deal for kids to go to movies for very cheap in the summertime. Uh, And so I saw it at this kind of old theater, and I remember, I remember going into the movie that I thought, and I'm, you know, I was eight or nine at the time, and I remember thinking like, ah, this movie looks pretty childish. Like, I don't know if it's going to be any good, you know. And uh, but I, I loved it from the beginning, mostly because the baseball was so realistic, and it felt like a look at uh, a major league uh, team or like a, a major league setting that felt real. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know if I thought about this at the time, but if you just look back at that year now, it's, it's very funny. Like, the Sandlot and Rookie of the Year came out in 1993, uh, and then Little Big League and Angels in the Outfield come out in 1994. So you have four, basically, kids' baseball movies, three of them which are fairly similar in plot, uh, and, then, and then the Sandlot. And, uh, you know, the Little Big League was... was by far the least successful. And uh, I've just thought that it's, I mean, the Sandlot is great. You, you can't really argue with that. I mean, it's, it's a classic as well, but um, I feel like Little Big League has always been sort of overlooked uh, and underappreciated. So I just felt like, hey, I had a little bit of time this week to make some calls and talk to some people. And I kind of wanted to explore, specifically, I couldn't get as many people as I wanted to, but I wanted to talk to some of the major leaguers who had cameos um, and was able to talk to a few of them. And, and like you said, it wasn't that successful of a movie when it first came out, yet, like you said, you really enjoyed it. My brother and I, I think we saw it at around the same age, and we loved it too, yet, as you mentioned in the article, I think it sits at a 31% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that, made just $12 million at the box office. You know, what, do you, what do you think was the cause of that? Because now, as you mentioned in the article, the movie has kind of gained appreciation over time, but when it first came out, it really wasn't a hit at all. Yeah, so I, I talked to uh, one of the screenwriters who, he was actually the original screenwriter, and then his script was purchased, and then so he wasn't really involved with the project as they were filming and, and making the movie, but he, he was credited with the story. Um, and yeah, like I, I guess there's a couple of theories. I mean, at some level, like movies and books and art or whatever, it's like they're dependent on like a marketing machine and the people who are putting it out. Um, and I think this one was by Capital Rock Entertainment and by uh, Columbia Pictures were the people who were distributing it. And so I don't know that necessarily they, they put a lot of time and money into that aspect of it. And another thing was, I mean, they, like, Rookie of the Year, it just came out the year before and was pretty successful, uh, relatively speaking. The Sandlot had actually done pretty well, too. But Rookie of the Year, 
And if you're thinking of just like what the actual basic plots were, I mean, rookie of the year, you have a kid who has an arm injury and then he's able to be in the major leagues. And then a year later, you have a, a movie about a kid who's going to manage a major league team. I and mean, those are basically almost the same movie. At <laughs> least like they feel like if you're given that pitch in like an elevator. So I think there was somewhat fatigue and... Um, even though there were like all the cameo appearances from, you know, King Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson on down the list, there was no real like star, right? Like, you know, if you're an adult, uh, looking for movies to go to, or even, you know, looking for a family movie, it wasn't like there was anybody in the movie, you know, most of these actors, I guess the, you know, the most famous actor is Jason Robards, who was the grandfather who was barely in it. And then the, uh, Timothy Busfield, the first baseman, Lou Collins, and I mean, I, I barely knew who he was back then, but I, he wasn't necessarily a household name either. So, so, like, there was no star power to attract, like, a big audience. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, Preston, do you think if the movie came out today, it would do or be received better? I mean, I'm just imagining all these cameos and these guys on social media would be, like, pumping the movie up, and I would expect it to have more of a wildfire spread than, than it did back in the 90s when players really couldn't get their messages out. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, that's a good point. I, I didn't think of it that way. I mean, I was thinking, too, like, they, people don't really make movies like this anymore. Granted, I'm not seeing a lot of, like, kids' movies. But, like, you know, if you just go back to the 90s, kids' sports movies were such a, like, touchstone genre. It felt like you couldn't go a year or two without having, like, a big, big movie like that. And now they, they're just not, like, made like that. They, they don't seem to be made like they were back then. I do think the cameos would be interesting now, like, in terms of, like, hey, King Griffey Jr. is in this movie. You know, like, if Mike Trout was, uh, had a cameo and was, like, a fairly important part of a kid's baseball movie today, I think that would be a fairly interesting thing that people would discuss quite a bit. <laughs> so it is funny how it went kind of under the radar at the time. Um, but, yeah, I, I, that's, that's a good point that I hadn't really thought of. And, you know, you're saying you're about eight or nine when it first came out. Ryan and I were the same age. And there's just scenes and, and moments that stick with us. And what, what what is your favorite scene in the movie? And as a kid, what was your favorite cameo? I mean, Yankee fans, when we saw Paul O'Neill, we went nuts. So what, what scene and what cameo did that for you? Um, well, I mean, obviously the King of the Junior cameo, just like the whole final scene, uh, was great. Um I, I, I like I I think I mean I was I grew up in, in Kansas City and the first you know like uh, cameo is they're playing the Royals rare at the very beginning of the movie and, and Wally Joyner is actually has like a line of dialogue um, and I just I don't know that I mean it, it's kind of a throwaway line uh, throwaway scene they're just sort of introducing like the twins and that he you know all that sort of stuff but. Uh, it just felt like, hey, this is that's like a real player that's you know, like uh, is talking to Luke Collins right there. So, um, but yeah, like that that scene, and I always thought that the, like the uh, you know the scene where like they're going through the math equation at the end before the big game was always funny, um, and uh, just like a couple of, I always actually, you know what. I didn't put this in the story, but some commenter brought it up too. Like the the interview with Chris Berman <laughs> when he's when they're when he's uh, interviewing him, and he he asked like you know some say you're starting to crack like a bad stucco job, and then he comes back with like I don't even know what that means, and then Berman is like and yet the stucco, and then uh, he like storms off, and then. 
Chris Berman is like, the feistiness of a champion. And then the, the guy's like, oh, that's a great line. And he's like, nah. He's like, yeah, we'll edit that out. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Like, that, 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 like, what's funny is that that actually struck me as, like, a, a funny, like, there are parts that are legitimately funny about the, the movie. And if you do a little research, the director, um, or one of the producers, I should say, um, was heavily involved in Seinfeld um, and, and did a lot of producing around Seinfeld. So, I mean, like, the, the people that made the movie, I think they had good taste. And I think they were trying to make uh, an actually funny movie that was, like, not cheap laughs, that were actually funny, and that sort of, uh, like, sort of ironic, like, 90s sort of humor. And, like, it, I think maybe some of that does kind of come through. Now, speaking of the stucco beginning to crack, I need to ask you a very serious question, and I thought about it for the first time in my life yesterday as I was preparing for this. The Twins tie for the division and have to play one-game playoff, but that's also after their manager benches, well, it's implied as their best player for several weeks because he's dating their mother. If Billy doesn't bench Lou, do you think they win one extra game and win the division? Yeah, well, that is sort of... Uh... Yes, a few people have brought this up. Uh, I, I, I don't know actually like how many games Lou Collins was sitting for, but it did seem uh, there were like multiple, and they were, I think they were, what were they, they, were four games out, and then they won their last four, and the Mariners must have lost their last four, which is, I don't know what the odds of that would be. That's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, like that, they sort of glossed over, and I'm trying to think if there's any other... Uh, things that seem a little bit odd. That seems a little bit weird that he benched them. And also, somebody brought up the fact that at the beginning of the movie, Ricky Henderson is randomly a free agent in the middle of the season. So I don't, I'm not sure how, who he was playing for or like who DFA'd Ricky Henderson. I just think that that was like, um, now I, I don't, I'd have to look, look, look at like a baseball reference, but that seems unrealistic for a number of ways because I also don't think that Ricky Henderson would have been much of a coveted player in 1993 or 1994. I think he was sort of at the uh, <laughs> tail end of his post-prime there. So uh, I'm not sure that the Twins would have been coveting him, but um, that that always, somebody brought that up too, and I thought it was funny. Speaking of, of Ricky Henderson, he, his name is mentioned a lot, like you said, in the movie, but we never see him. Same could be said for guys like David Cohn, Roger Clemens. W- were there any for you, even if the names were mentioned or not, that were playing at that time that you would have liked to see have a cameo that you think would have been really funny or, or another good villainous figure like Griffey kind of took on? Just any, any names playing in that era that you wish made a cameo in the movie? Yeah, I mean, I guess I really thought of that. I mean, like, Bonds would be would be funny. I actually think, if I've, I'm, what, didn't Barry Bonds and a few other guys have cameos in Rookie of the Year where, like, they just basically strike out and that's all you really see them? Um, I feel like that happened. I could be wrong about that. Um, I'm not even sure. Uh, so that, that would have been, like, he would have been an interesting person to have in there. I'm trying to think of any... Like, Greg Maddox seems like he would have been fun. You know, like, he seems like he probably would have been, like, a fairly interesting actor. Uh, would have, would have, like, he, he seems like he would have those chops. So, um, yeah, Greg Maddox maybe would be, like, sort of at the, at the top of the list. And, um... We mentioned we mentioned Griffey kind of playing the villain in a way in in the movie, especially in, in the last game, in which I thought was just a great performance by him. We get the wink as he's rounding the bases and um, pimping the home run. But if 
if this movie were to be made today, do, who do you think would be the best part to fill that role and, and be that almost unstoppable force that kind of takes on a villain role, taking down the underdogs? Like, who do you see in today's game that would really fit that mold well if they were to remake this movie today? Um, so, yeah, like, so, I mean, like, Bryce Harper seems like he would be a good villain, uh, but he almost seems too good. Like, I mean, King Griffey Jr. was a likable player in 93. I mean, he was like a star, so that made it sort of fun that he was both in it. And so, yeah, so, like, I feel in a way, like, Mike Trout or um, either Trout or even, like, just, like, Mookie Betts, like, one of those two guys, like, they, they both seem, I mean, I, I guess Aaron Judge could fit that role, too. Um but, like, you need somebody who just seems, like, sort of freakishly superhuman, but, like, somewhat likable at the same time. Um, and so you, you sort of, like, King Ruby Jr. is a villain, but it's almost more like he's so good that, like, you just sort of, like, oh, man, that's, you know, like, so those three seem like they would be, uh, they, they, they would be, like, perfectly suited for that role. And um, another thing you mentioned in your article is how the uh, director and the writers probably were uh, would have been fans of fan graphs today. Do you think that they were uh, more forward-thinking in terms of baseball fans disputing the sack bunt in the scene where Billy is put through a situation to determine if he's ready to be a manager? Do, do you think maybe they were guys that read Bill James' baseball abstracts or, or questioned a lot of the tendencies at the time in baseball? Like, I know they were baseball fans, obviously, um, and I think there were some nods to, you know, like the Brooklyn Dodgers and the shot heard around the world and all sorts of things. So, like, I think they were legit baseball fans. I do think that, like, I've, I've talked to uh, a colleague of mine, Rainey Gisarelli, who wrote for Baseball Perspectives in the early 90s, and he, he was, said, like, when he saw that, he, he thought it was, like, the perfect distillation of, of sabermetric, like, tactics that had been, like, put out there, that it was, like, the perfect example of why the sack bunt doesn't make sense in a lot of situations. Um, and so I, I don't know that answer in terms of, of if they were, if these guys were, like, yeah, we're going to put a scene in there that, like, basically debunks the sack bunt. Um, but it certainly seemed that way. That it, uh, And I always thought that that scene was great, too, because um, you have they're going through this like sort of baseball tactical situation and like they're discussing Steve Farr <laughs> and, and like coming out of the bullpen. I mean, just like these little, uh, this is why I wrote in the story, but this is why it is like the movie for serious baseball fans. Like there are these little nuggets that you are, you, you would get that like, obviously the people that wrote this movie were, were baseball fans and were, uh, you know, not just fans of the sport, but fans of the history and fans of the actual, uh, like, the, 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 the little nuances of the game. All right. Well, that's Rustin Dodd. He is a features writer for The Athletic and recently wrote about the anniversary of Little Big League. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, hope, hope the article gets all the success and exposure it deserves and gets more people onto one of the more underrated baseball movies. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. This was fun.
All right, and a special thanks again to Rustin Dodd. You can catch his work on The Athletic, and I highly recommend any baseball movie fan to look at his piece of Little Big League. It was definitely fun to read and just think back on the movie. I know I went and watched it later that night after I read it to uh, honor the anniversary. And, Sean, you, uh, you sent me a text when we were in the middle of recording that interview of how you had picked Harper for that question of who would be the modern day villain to use to kind of take that Ken Griffey Jr. role and I thought that was I thought that was a great pick you think of you think of a lot of baseball fans who have problems with you know the bat flips and pimping home runs and you just picture Harper helicoptering a bat towards the opposing dugout in a new revamped version of Little Big League and I think it would make him look like a great villain uh, if they made it seven years ago, Jose Bautista would have been my pick. But uh, no, Harper definitely would have been the perfect uh, Ken Griffey Jr. character uh, in that movie. And just um, yeah, I was I was so pumped to so pumped to talk about it because that was a fun article. It brought me back to we watched that movie you know five hundred times when we were kids, and um, you know you should have pitched Wedman and, and all, uh, you know, we know all the jokes. So it, it was a fun conversation to have. And, um, it, yeah, I mean, what, what about you? Who, if you can't take Harper, since that was who I was thinking of, who would you take as your, your villain? Cause I don't think, I don't think Trout really fits that mold. He's a little too quiet. No, yeah. I, I think he'd only do a cameo in a movie about weather. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I agree. Trout, Trout wouldn't work. Um, Hmm. You know, you know who would have been great if they had filmed it before the 2018 season, like someone like like Stanton who just hits mammoth home runs. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's got that look. He's yeah. got that mean look. Yeah, I love that. Like, I don't know. I it's hard to describe, but I love that like nonchalant bat toss he does when he crushes mm-hmm. a home run. Like, oh, this is just another day at the office. Mm-hmm. So he would be fun if I really wanted to shove it in the faces of. Um, some of the stick to it traditional baseball fans, I would pick Tim Anderson. Yeah, I feel like he's too little though. Like he doesn't have that demeaning. That, he would, that he scary. wouldn't be like overpowering like Griffey was in that movie. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I mean, if you think about it, like not in the article they talk about how it sort of foreshadows the 2001 World Series with Randy Johnson coming in, but it really foreshadowed. The, in 95, the Mariners play a one-game playoff to get into the postseason, just as they do in the movie. And in 95, Randy Johnson comes out of the bullpen in Game 5 against the Yankees and, and shuts them down, which allows the Edgar hit to happen. So it's a lot of a lot of things that were foreshadowed there. Not for so much for the Twins, but more for the Mariners. Yeah, I, I the think... The Twins were never, never managed by a preteen. <laughs> I think that's why the movie gained so much fondness as the years went on, because you realize what forward-thinking of a movie it was. Like Again, we talked to Rustin about the conversation disputing the sack bunt in that key hypothetical situation that's brought up to Billy before um, they agree to let him become the manager. And, again, bringing in Johnson out of, out of the bullpen, who was also another great villain. He just has that look of, of a villain. Oh, yeah. So him and Griffey were great choices. And that, that, that was another reason why I was surprised that the movie didn't initially do well. I, I get what Rustin was saying, that it was kind of in an oversaturated market at the time with all the other classics that came out. Although I think Little Big League completely blows Rookie of the Year out of the water, but yeah, Rookie of the Year is not very good. But they they had all these cameos of real ball players. That was just so much fun to watch. It, it made the baseball 
in the movie look more real. It made it more enjoyable to point out all these guys. Like, you get a quick flash of Tim Raines uh, on the White Sox, and then you get full, full-on scenes with guys like Griffey and Randy Johnson. We got to see Paul O'Neill. It was just... The movie yeah. was so much fun, and like Rustin said, I thought genuinely funny. I yeah, I think it's a very funny movie. Um, I would say that. I I mean, I would say that it should have went where Rookie of the Year and Little Big League flipped. The Sandlot is the Sandlot. It's a completely different film, just about kids who like baseball, and you know, it's like a amazing kids movie. I, I love the Sandlot, but yeah. Then you have these two like kids in the major league scenario, and I guess it was just because one kid is playing, and that's more fun than being strategic and managing. So maybe it just. It, it, but I still think if that movie came out today with social media, like the players would all be like, you know, oh, check it out, watch me, you know, square off against Billy Haywood or or whatever they yeah. would say. And you know, I mean, it's definitely a movie that people appreciate. Uh, still, I mean, you see, like I remember. Derek Stepan went to a Yankees Twins game and he said, I'm looking, I can't wait to meet Billy Haywood after the game. And just, you know, uh, it's something that that's got more of like a cult following. But, um, you know, we were talking about what cameos do you wish you had? What uh, spoken cameo? Like, so like they talk about Clemens, they talk about Bonds, right? They talk about um, Ricky Henderson randomly being a free agent in the middle of the year. <laughs> Wait, in 1993. <laughs> yeah. What spoken cameo do you wish that we actually saw the player? I have one. Now, David Cohn is brought up, right? I believe he's bought, brought up but never seen. Yeah, that's. I, I think mine would be Cohn. All right. Mine would be the collision with Cecil in Detroit. I'd <laughs> want to see that happen. <laughs> that <would've laughs> he separated funny. the two ribs. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because the guy's playing hurt and Luke Collins yeah, comes in the office. You're still not playing. <laughs> Can you imagine how that would have went over in today's society with Twitter and uh, reporters tweeting from the clubhouse, like, day 21 of this team's best player not playing because he's dating the manager's mom? Oh, <laughs> uh, All right. might uh, happen if Michael Conforto was a manager. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. So real quick before we get into our normal closing stuff, favorite scene, favorite line. Um, favorite. Oh, I wasn't ready for this shit. Um, <laughs> I would I would say my favorite scene is probably it's probably still got to be the the painting the house scene. Yeah, I, I mean that's just too. it's such a classic, and I mean I put it up on the whiteboard on my refrigerator the day I got married, just so we could all <laughs> joke about that while we, were, while we were getting ready, and like nobody noticed it for quite a while, but I had the whole drawing perfect. Yeah. Um, so, so that's probably my favorite scene. I'll do favorite line after you say what's your favorite scene. Well, that that was that was mine too. Although I will say honorable mention, the runaround Sue montage is one of my favorite movie montages ever. Yeah, that that's that's a pretty solid one. All right, favorite line. Um, I don't know. Mine, mine would be. I should know this. My uncle's a painter. A paint. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of something that's not in the. Uh, what color paint might be <laughs> might be my favorite? <laughs> my my honorable mention would probably be probably be. Um, it's the American League. They've got the DH. How hard could it be? <laughs> He's yeah. trying to convince Billy to manage. Oh no! I my favorite line is on the on behalf of the entire Apache Nation, <laughs> except it's all a branch of peace. <laughs> That's Man, probably what a good casting decision that was for Bowers. 
Oh yeah, I saw that guy in an SVU episode, Law and Order. He was like oh, really? a comedian <laughs> who, yeah, uh, he, but he was like a rapist comedian. I don't know. Oh, nice. Little, little bit darker, but uh, oh yeah, the water balloon scene is great. All the Bauer scenes are are, are really good. I just wanted you I, to know I had nothing to do with this. I love that guy, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so we've looked back, and now let's look forward. What are we? Uh, what are we looking forward to this weekend, or this week ahead? Actually, which will be in a kind of an extended week as we're recording a little early to pave way for the holiday. Oh, and then we'll have uh, then we'll have the well. By the time we record again, we'll be at the through the home run derby. Yeah, because it so it's July eighth. Tuesday, right? Monday. Oh, All-Star Monday. That's right. All star game. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm looking. I'll, I'm going to take the home run derby. Um. Not really looking forward to the Subway Series too much because it's one of those where it, it's just if they lose, I'm going to be annoyed. And I guess I'll say the home run derby, and if I can, I'll say the four game series with Tampa because that's going to be big. I really hope they don't burn out too much against the Mets because you're going to want to go into that flying high and at least be able to come away with a split. Um. If they win th- three out of it's a four game set, right? I'm not making that up. Because yeah, yeah, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday against the Mets, and then four gamer. Yeah. They play six in a row. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if they can win three out of four in Tampa, um, we can go into the All Star break feeling really good about not having to play a one game playoff. Yeah, I I hope that's the case because we are tired of having to be put through those. But I I also would pick the the home run derby. Uh, again, a stacked lineup. I think definitely most excited i've been since the 2017 one which obviously wasn't that long ago but that means the home run derby's been doing a good job so hopefully that continues we'll see if gary sanchez is a part of it right now it looks like no but um yankees also have plenty of other important work to do before the all-star break which is take care of the scuffling crosstown rivals and then hopefully go into the break with a very very comfortable lead in the division which would be nice so We'll, uh, we'll see if they're there by next week. Until then, enjoy the holiday. Enjoy some more baseball before we get a break, and we'll see everyone next time. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. This is the only time you can play a night game, apparently, according to the, the guys from the Sandlot, because the fireworks <laughs> light up the sky so much you can actually see the baseball. So everybody enjoy your night game on July 4th. All right. See you later, everybody.